Welcome to the Defense and Aerospace Report podcast. I'm your host, Vago Maradian. Our podcast is brought to you by Bell. Since 1935, Bell has been redefining flight. Learn more about its pioneering spirit at bellflight.com. And joining us now is Mark Stokes, the co-founder and CEO of an innovative British space propulsion company called MagDrive that recently was one of the 10 uh, winners of the Amazon Accelerator Awards. We had uh, retired United States Air Force Major General uh, Clint Crozier uh, on uh, recently to discuss. And Mark, you're joining us. Congratulations and thanks for making time for us. Thanks very much. It's a pleasure. Uh, absolutely great uh, having you on. Before we get started, Leonardo DRS sponsors our global coverage, Fortress Information Security sponsors our weekly cyber report, and Northrop Grumman supports our cyber coverage overall, and General Atomics Aeronautical Systems sponsors our coverage of strategy. I want to get to uh, what the prize means to you guys, obviously, uh, and where you guys want to be when you grow up. But first, tell us what you guys do that makes you so unique in uh, the space ecosystem. So we're working on an entirely new type of electric propulsion system. At the moment, the industry is split between choosing from electric systems, which give you a huge amount of efficiency or specific impulse, but very low thrust. Counter to that, you have chemical systems, which give you a huge amount of thrust, but very low efficiency, very low specific impulse. We're developing the first system of its kind that's an electric system, but that has the high efficiency of electric systems, but has a hundred times more thrust than anything else on the market. This means that we have an electric system which can start doing so much more in space. It has the capability to perform missions which are beyond the capabilities of current propulsion systems. It's a system which can accomplish both the very high efficiency maneuvers, such as station keeping and very long-term deployments, but it can also accomplish very complex satellite rendezvous, inclination changes, some very Delta V hungry missions maneuvers as well. What that really opens up is an entirely new approach to sustainability in space by enabling companies to perform additional avoidance maneuvers and deorbits, but also the really exciting sci-fi stuff that's really taking, taking hold of the space industry, which is in-orbit servicing, orbital manufacturing, orbital assembly, which needs an entirely new type of propulsion system, which really stands out in terms of maneuverability, agility, and efficiency. For those in the audience who don't uh, don't fully understand, uh, this work now is you know you're either using uh, electric thrusters, as you said, which are you know very very low power, or you have to use hypergolic uh, fuels that are highly toxic, uh, and it's a fuel tank, right? You run out of uh, yeah. the attitude control fuel uh, ultimately, uh, especially if you use it up too quickly. So you're actually allowing for um, much more stable, much more longer term space uh, the missions. Uh, with your technology. That's absolutely right. Chemical propulsion has been the real mainstay of satellites in low Earth orbit and beyond. However, we're approaching a real crisis in low Earth orbit with the sheer number of satellites that are there. And while at the moment, the satellites will accomplish an avoidance maneuver maybe once or twice a year, that number is going to increase to twice a month, maybe even weekly. And the problem with using chemical propulsion for that is because it's very low in efficiency, it means these systems could be done and used up in just six months' time. And then, you know, that's turned your satellite into junk. Yeah, it's junk you can talk to, but it's still junk and you've lost control of it. So <laughs> with the mag drive, we have the thrust to perform these avoidance maneuvers but we, and, uh, you know, the deorbits, but we also have the efficiency 
to really make it last the entire lifetime that the customer needs. Um, that was, uh, that was, by the way, really very, very funny. It's junk, but junk you can talk to. And, and who doesn't like junk they can talk to? Um, at, the, at, the, at the end of the day, it's still junk. So tell, talk, uh, explain to the audience to the, in, in a lay fashion how it is you guys accomplish this, right? Because folks have uh, know what happens when you put gas under pressure and squirt it, right? That was the Mercury guys were using gas under pressure. Then we got to Gemini, which was an Apollo and the space shuttle and everybody else that's that's used uh, hypergolics, right? Two fuels that combine in order to give you a degree of, of combustion and power. Uh, and then we went to electric and now you guys are looking at a hybrid. Explain to the audience what, what it is and how it is you're, gonna, you're, you're doing uh, this magic because there is nothing more complicated than balancing a satellite very, very precisely in orbit. Absolutely. So this isn't a hybrid in terms of how we actually make it happen. The hybrid is really in the performance. Under the hood, we're using a solid metal propellant, actually. And we use up to two kilowatts of power to ionize it, to detonate it into a super hot, super dense plasma. Now, this isn't a plasma that's around, allowed to bounce around this plasma exists for about half a microsecond at 15,000 degrees, and we use magnetic field topologies to accelerate, contain, and direct it to produce our thrust. Now, satellites in low Earth orbit aren't running around with two kilowatts of power to give us on demand. So instead, what we do is we draw power in from the solar panels, as is kind of standard practice, but uniquely, we store it up internally, and then we can discharge it whenever we need in order to perform that ionization, that detonation to turn the metal into plasma. And it's having a really hot and dense plasma that gives us the high thrust and high efficiency. Effectively, because you're uh, ionizing a metal, you know, and you're doing it at a molecular level, it's pretty much almost infinite fuel in comparison from an energy density standpoint. It's a really good fuel choice, yeah. It's extremely dense, which means that we can have very little actually on board the satellite and to the point where really we expect some electronic component to inevitably fail before you run out of propellant. The, the other advantage to using this metal is that it's completely inert. Uh, other systems such as, as you mentioned, chemical fuel, um, as well as the gases that they use on uh, current uh, cold plasma systems in electric, in electric thrusters, they've got to be pressurized. Uh, and in some cases they come with extremely highly demanding fueling and integration procedures to oversee them as well. For us and for our customers, that's going to mean a hugely reduced you know, operational expenditure. It, it sounds kind of boring to say, but not having to worry about how pressurized your, your propellant is, that's actually a massive bonus because you can pretty much leave it sitting on the shelf for a year and come back and use it again whenever you want. Yeah, that's uh, that's absolutely brilliant. Mark, I want to get your sense on the importance of the prize and where you guys are in the process of actually operationalizing this and commercializing it, right? It's one thing to have a brilliant idea, uh, and you and your uh, co-founder and, and, and CTO have been uh, working this idea for uh, some time. Where are you in the process, and how does the Amazon prize help you get closer to the finish line? So at the moment, we've just about uh, in TRL5. So we have an integrated prototype and we're starting to put, you know, a kind of a prolonged test campaign to see what the thrust measurements are out of it, see how all the individual components we've been working on work together for this prototype. That's kind of how we approached it all the way along, you know, working on individual components, bringing them together for an integrated prototype, except this time we've gone much further than every previous iteration. 
we have our first prototype flight coming up actually in November. Uh, that's going out on Transporter 6 out of Florida. And it's a demonstration of the entire power chain of the mag drive, demonstrating that we can do power ingress so we can take it in from the solar panels on board the host satellite, that we can store it up internally, and then that we can discharge it. So it's a really, a, you know, it's our first flight. Uh, it's our first space wings. But it also really importantly demonstrates that we know what we're talking about and that we can do this. And it's really the entire electronic, electronic heart of the mag drive that we're demonstrating here. So what we're really aiming for is to get an in-orbit demonstration completed. We're looking at kind of late 24, early 25, and we want to do that with a future customer to whom this early mission is going to be extremely interesting. We want that in-orbit demonstration to be you know, as much a co-technology demonstration as it is a co-business demonstration. And a key part of getting there and iterating through this hardware is being able to model and understand what's happening with the plasma. You mentioned that molecular level of detail, and that's exactly the amount of detail that we need to understand. So we're building proprietary software, which is essentially a very specific type of plasma physics simulator. Um, so we're used to doing this high-performance computing, but we, we are going to come to a limit where the, you know, our own hardware is kind of really struggle to do that. So this, uh, you know, being part of this, this uh, accelerator, what it means for us is we can explore two particular options ahead of us, uh, you know, together. Firstly, access to much higher levels of computing so we can run much more complicated simulations. And we know we're going to come up to that as we start essentially slowing down simulations as we start really trying out a lot more variables. So how much more power can we put in and what kind of molecular effect does it have as we strip away the metal, as we ionize it? Are we encountering any kind of bottlenecks there that we may not have realized? And secondly, as we expand that numerical physicist team, uh, we can't just store everything locally anymore. You know, we are going to need a very secure cloud-based way of sharing that information. And it's sort of, a, in one way, it's a challenge we didn't quite expect, but the, the type of people who can do this type of work are very rare, very unique individuals with a very particular type of experience within plasma physics. And uh, it's, it's no surprise, therefore, that they're not in the UK. So they are abroad. So we are going to need that infrastructure to let them talk to each other, to, to share experiments as well. And this, this plasma physics simulation is absolutely key because it's extremely hard to do diagnostic experiments with an extremely short-lived and very hot plasma. Instead, we have a model where we feed experimental data into the simulations and we use that to inform our future experiments in a virtuous cycle, which speeds up the entire prototyping process. Um, do do at this point, are there any, as as they would say, long poles in the tent, right? I mean, is this a brilliant idea that is a brilliant idea that is likely to stay a brilliant idea? Or is this a brilliant idea that's actually operationalizable, um, right? And, and if so, what is required to get you there? Which is, I'm sure, what every single one of your investors has asked you, Mark. <laughs> yeah, that, that's it. The, so the biggest issue right now is being able to scale the prototype that we have. We have a functioning mag drive on the bench in the lab. All the components work well, very well together, and it all works in the vacuum chamber that we have, in the facilities that we have. 
right now, it's not capable of the performance that is going to excite anybody in the industry. But we've identified all the work that needs to be done to make that happen. Being able to keep that pace, but also being able to form the customer relationships, which are going to be our first customers in space as well and keep all of those elements going on alongside each other is definitely the most challenging part of the work we're doing. And uh, how long before you guys have that commercial partner? Uh, do you already have one? And if you don't have one, when do you expect to have one by? So we do have quite a few companies that we are talking to um, about that first in-orbit demonstration. We hope to have that relationship uh, nailed down really early next year or partway through the year or partway through 2023. Um, you know, one of the most baffling uh, elements uh, of sort of post-war technological development was the extraordinary talent Britain had uh, in space and in engineering and in complex engineering, um, aerodynamics, I dare say even rocketry, and then not have a rocket program uh, during, uh, during the Cold War, to, much to speak of. And, you know, it's always been a dream. And now that dream has been embraced by government. What's the kind of support you're getting from the British government that's finally recognized, oh, my God, we have an, an embarrassment of riches in this country that are critical to the global space ecosystem. Let's actually make a greater showing of this that goes beyond the Surrey spaceport. The real support from government has been the way it's structured its grant funding programs, really which has been to take somewhat of a leading role, but to take a huge amount of advice on what industry needs and what kind of capabilities should be supported, which allows us to really make a case for the mag drivers being an underpinning capability in propulsion, which would allow the UK to become that world leader in propulsion. So that kind of government assistance is both coming into these small startups like us to whom that kind of grant funding makes a huge amount of impact, but it's also allowing us to talk to much more established companies in the UK, such as Surrey Satellites, AAC Clydespace, and leverage their expertise as well. It's also allowed us to work with companies who are coming into the space industry in more interesting ways. Uh, for example, we recently did a piece of work with Tokamak Energy. Reason being, they have extremely interesting components, which they want to start putting into the space industry. And it's been excellent to work with them to space, qualify them, to test them for our own purposes as well. So the, the, the government really is acting as, a, as an introductory mediator as well between a lot of auxiliary technologies and industries into the space industry and letting it, letting it develop in a way which these small and innovative companies really find suits them best. Where do you guys want to be in five years? So in five years time, we want to have the first mag drive out on the market will have basically become an American company at that point. However, we want to continue doing R&D, probably still based out of the UK. And the reason we want to keep doing R&D is because we want to build an even bigger, better Mac drive. You know, we want to build something that's going to be 50 or 60 kilograms heavy. It's going to have a hell of a lot more thrust. It's going to have the same high efficiency. And that will serve as an entirely new mass class of satellite. And just really quickly, what are the relative merits and advantages, right? I mean, you're pursuing this uh, approach because you think it's better than what everybody else's approach is, not just to be different. What, what is it that is your advantage over all of the other guys who are working uh, on electric propulsion, right? Why, why, is, why is your answer better than their answer? Our advantage comes down to the capability. We have 100 times more thrust than any other electric system, but the same high efficiency. What that means is that one system 
will be able to accomplish all the missions and maneuvers that have previously either been entirely inaccessible or customers have needed to put a chemical system and an electric system on board. With one system capable of this high thrust and efficiency, we can accomplish orbital manufacturing, orbital assembly, and we can start pushing the boundaries of what were sci-fi concepts only 10 years ago. But now these are the companies that we're talking to and they are very excited about using the mag drive to really accelerate their entirely new businesses. For that, we've already started doing work, again, funded by the UK government. And that's really our continuing roadmap for the decades to come. We want to keep building more powerful and more innovative mag drives to service larger and larger mass classes, all the way up to deep space transport and potentially um, lunar launch vehicles. Mark, um, best of luck to you. Congratulations again. Uh, look forward to staying in touch. Uh, I think your technology is absolutely uh, fascinating. And, and just one more thing uh, for um, the, the audience. How many other companies are doing this or are you guys actually totally unique in what you're doing here? There are a lot of innovative companies working on uh, electric propulsion. However, we're the only one working with this solid, dense metal propellant and these super hot plasmas. So yeah, from a certain perspective, we're definitely unique. And the challenge is to get to space, get to market before anybody else can catch up to us. Thanks very much again and best of luck. Thank you very much. And now a word from our sponsor, retired United States Army Major General Jeff Schlosser, who is the Executive Vice President for Strategic Pursuits at Bell. We've been building creative and innovative aircraft, next generation types of capabilities for almost nine decades. Bell is the company that can deliver that. Thanks very much, sir. And thanks to all of you for listening. Please follow our daily podcasts and visit the Defense and Aerospace Report website to subscribe to our weekly newsletter. Follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook at Defense and Aerospace Report and check us out on LinkedIn and stay tuned for our weekly cyber report sponsored by Northrop Grumman. Thanks again to Bell for their generous sponsorship and we'll see you again tomorrow.